0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson as always I am your good friend and host Steve Robertson. Today is a great day for Mississippi State baseball. Not a good day, not a decent day, not an average day. It is a great day for Mississippi State baseball. First thing I'm going to tell you I am exceptionally proud of coach Chris Simonis for getting this thing done. Justin Parker, your new pitching coach at Mississippi State. We're going to talk about that extensively here in the first segment of the show. This is big. Big. This is the big boy blue blood move. We could have settled. We could have went out there and it's gotten somebody else and it wouldn't have moved the needle. And I'll be honest with you, last Monday, that was afraid. I thought, well, what was going to happen? Even though Mike Silva is very much respected in college baseball circles. I didn't think that was going to make you guys excited. I didn't think that was going to elicit interest from players in the portal. I didn't think he was going to be able to acclimate to the SEC and get guys up to SEC standards in one year. I, I just, I worried. It's like, oh, you know, I, I get it. I talked to a lot of people and said, hey, he's a great pitching coach. But the learning curve, I think, was going to be an issue. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. If we had hired Mike Silva, I would have hoped for the best, but I suspect this time next year we'd have been announcing a coaching change, head coaching change. I just, I didn't think it was the right move. Ultimately, it doesn't work out, and I think that is to our benefit because now we get Justin Parker from South Carolina who is considered one of the best pitching coaches in America. I'm not going to have you just take my word for it. I'm going to give you some numbers to back that up. But what a tremendous job by Coach Chris Simonis. I know that uh, he has his critics and deservedly so. But this is a step in the right direction. A huge step in the right direction. To go out and get South Carolina's pitching coach, we didn't go get South Carolina State. We didn't go get Presbyterian. We didn't go get Coastal Carolina. We didn't go get South Alabama. We didn't go get Nichols State or Southeastern Louisiana. We got South Carolina, a team with multiple NAFL championships with a baseball AD and Ray Tanner. And a team that just went to the Super Regionals, a, a team that was two wins away from Omaha, we go take their pitching coach, a team within our league. And as I shared on the jeanspage.com message boards earlier today, this is a guy that's written a scouting report on every hitter in the Southeastern Conference. He knows their tendencies, he has faced some of them, he knows exactly what they want, where the holes in their swings are. And if you don't think that is significant knowledge, you're kidding yourself. Rather than coming in and kind of watching it for the first time, he's lived it. He's had a chance to, uh, to coach pitchers and learn how to attack those guys. And you look at the numbers that South Carolina put up this year from a pitching standpoint, it's remarkable. It really is. So we're going to break that down. And again, I just want to make sure we understand. People said, Steve, how do you feel about the search? Well, I said, let me let you know how when it ends. Let me let you know when it ends. Well, now that it has ended... News first broken by jeanspage.com, and I'll be honest with you, we pre-wrote the story days ago, had Dave Murray write it up, and uh, as soon as I got the word, we published it before anybody else could, and we take a lot of pride in that too. We take a lot of pride in being your eyes and ears when it comes to Mississippi State athletics. We do. We want to be the definitive expert when it comes to Mississippi State sports, in every sport. We do. That's our goal. It not always work out that way, but most of the time it does. So we broke that news this morning. We are very happy to do so. I go back to, uh, you know, last Monday, you know, get up, wake up Monday morning and uh, they say, Mike Silva's going to be the pitching coach. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? I-, I just mentioned them on Sunday. That Sunday is being connected with the Memphis job, and they end up uh, hiring Riser, former head baseball coach at Southeastern. And so I think it's important to kind of understand, you know, a lot of people, well, it's been a long process. It doesn't matter how long it is as long as you make the right hire. Doesn't matter how long you dated her did you get her to say yes when you proposed. All's well that ends well. And again, what's ama- amazing to me, and I, I'm going to say this, I'm going to get up on a soapbox here a little bit, so bear with me. We've gone out and hired probably the best available candidate that would consider Mississippi State. You know, if we'd be able to get Corey Mascara from Wake Forest, that's probably a grand swim. I mean, let's just be honest about it. Wake Forest, number one team in the tournament. Corey Mascara kind of getting hailed for uh, his approach to pitching. We'll watch him uh, play over shoe here in a little bit. Yeah, that'd have been a big deal. You go get Nate Yasky away from AM, been a big deal. Justin Parker is kind of in that same league. I'm not going to sit here and tell you if I had to choose between Parker and Mascara, I would pick Parker, I'd pick Mascara. Just being honest. But Justin Parker is one of the best pitching coaches in America. And now he's headed to Mississippi State. He and his wife Allison, their young son, they're on the way. They're going to be stark villains here soon. How important is that? It's a big deal. And some of our people, even with the hire, even with the fact that we threw our weight around a little bit, got the checkbook out and said, hey, guys, we have got to get this hire right, and then we do, we still want to complain? What what are we complaining about? Well, the search took too long. What does it matter? I challenged somebody just yesterday. They were like, well, we're falling way behind the rest of the SEC and portal commitments. Can you list them for me? Expert, can you list the number of transfer portal prospects that have committed to SEC programs this summer? Can you do it? Or is it just something in your mind? So now we have our guy. There's nothing to complain about. Chris Lamonis stepped into the box with two outs in a night in a tie ball game and hit a home run. He is to be commended for it. And by the time this show is over, I think even the doubters will be like, you know what? Steve's right. And I am. Even got the t-shirts to prove it. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I do. And at some point this week, I'm going to put my feet under a table in a booth at Bulldog Burger Company and I'm going to have that Mississippi barbecue burger, and I'm going to get an order of onion rings, and I'm going to enjoy a Diet Coke, and I'm going to love life, and before I leave, I'm going to order a uh, Nutella shake to go, and I'm going to go about my day with a smile on my face, knowing that I have been well-nourished, I have been well-serviced, and I have not paid an arm and a leg to have a great meal at a great place. You should want the same for yourself, whether it be a, a nice lunch date, or perhaps getting out with friends or family, you can enjoy an adult beverage. You have a full-service bar there. In Tupelo, okay, so we got live music there, too. It's kind of a full-stop shop. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. It's uh, it's in writing now, so you got to trust it. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet M E A T. All right, let's break down the Justin Parker file, shall we? Shall we? Are you on board with that? I'm excited, man. I maybe you can hear it in my voice, because I'm gonna be honest with you. I shared some of the same skepticism you guys did. I thought, you know, man, we've had two bad years. But two bad years, we might be in a situation now where we've got uh, maybe we got to get down the list. Maybe we got to get, you know, level B, C, or D candidates. You know, who's going to be willing to come here? I worried. I did. And it turns out that worry was unwarranted. And it's just because we all love Mississippi State baseball, right? We want what's best for Mississippi State baseball. Well, today you got what's best for Mississippi State baseball. All right, Justin Parker was a pitcher at Wright State and earned a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership. Married Angela Parker, who is the brother of former Major League Baseball pitcher Jared Parker. So there's a good chance that uh, their son Cameron Parker is, uh, is going to be a um, pitcher. You think? He was born last December. Had his first Christmas here in Columbia. He'll spend his first, Fourth July right here in Star Vegas. I need to get that kid an M over S cap. All right, so as a pitcher at Wright State... Justin Parker was an All-Horizon League selection in two years and uh, made the All-District team do a couple publications in 08. He was drafted by the Minnesota Twins in the 43rd round, the 2005 draft out of high school, elected to go to school, and was later drafted in the sixth round by the Arizona Diamondbacks. So this is a guy that understands how the MLB draft works from every aspect other than being a scout himself. Drafted out of high school, went to school, worked, improved his draft stock by 37 rounds. So he can tell a high school kid, hey, listen, I, I was faced with this same decision you were. I had to turn down some major league money. It wasn't huge money, but I had to turn down that opportunity to go to college, and what do I do? I ended up being a, uh, a sixth round pick, and it wasn't like he was at Indiana. He was at Wright State. Think about what he could have been at a Power 5 school. But uh, spent three years in the minors and decided, hey, i got to get out of this. And uh, he did. Returned to Wright State and and, uh, coached pitching there. Really began to see a turnaround there at Wright State. They ended up leading the Horizon League in 2015 in nearly every statistical category. ERA was 3.54. Strikeouts per nine innings were 7.2. Hits allowed were less than a hit per inning. That's a big number for us here on the Boneyard because we understand how baseball works. At some point when you pound the zone, guys are going to get hits. You want to give up less than a hit an inning. When you don't walk people, that one hit can't really hurt you. That's a solo home run, and even that doesn't sting very much. Uh, The Raiders went and won the Horizon League Championship in 2016. They went 46-17, and and they were fifth in the country in walks per nine innings at 2.45. Is that not music to your ears right there? A guy that coaches pitchers at different levels that doesn't walk people after what we've endured the last two years? Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. You look at the numbers. In six seasons at Wright State, Justin Parker's pitching helped Wright State to four Horizon League Championship games, winning it all in 15 and 16. Pretty incredible stuff. From there, let's see here. Central Florida, I think. I'm kind of losing track of my notes here. Yeah, went to, went to Central Florida and turned their situation around too and put some dudes in the in the, in the minor leagues. He leaves there and uh, follows, you know, kind of follows Chris Simonis there at Indiana. You know, kind of going back here, you know, like this 2018 season at Central Florida, 3.32 ERA. Pretty incredible stuff. Struck out 556 hitters on the year, second in program history at Central Florida. Pretty remarkable stuff. And back in Optic, his first year at UCF, the Central Florida staff is one of the best in the country in his first year. They finished 10th in the country in whip at 1.22, 24th in the country in strikeout to walk ratio, 28th in strikeouts per nine innings with just under nine. Walks per nine innings were 3.26. Wouldn't you have taken that this year? Pretty amazing stuff. Leaves there goes Indiana. Um, and in 19, Indiana wins the Big Ten regular season title. Well, on a we left the cupboard uh, somewhat full there. And Parker shows up and helps lead that team to the Big Ten regular season championship. Pretty nice. In 2020, in an abbreviated season, they beat LSU. They went 9-6 and six that year. And still, even an abbreviated year, ERA at 3.56. They struck out 134 hitters in 129 innings, so over a strike per, strikeout per inning. Does a great job there and leaves and joins the staff at South Carolina. And you can see this, right? You can see it moving up. His, the career trajectory continues to go up. Right State, that's the alma mater, Horizon League. Well, next thing you know, he's at UCF. Then at Indiana in the Big Ten. Now we get to the big time in the SEC. It's South Carolina. And listen, I have a tremendous amount of respect for South Carolina baseball and Ray Tanner. And, of course, I don't have to deal with Ray Tanner every day like their fans do. You read their message boards and you would think, wait a minute, is this our board or their board, right? Because the conversations are just saying nobody likes their AD, everybody's too cheap. But Ray Tanner is a guy that knows baseball. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. And uh, the fact that uh, Mark Kingston and Ray Tanner were on board with uh, Justin Parker coming aboard says a lot. And he does a great job there at South Carolina. Tons of injuries. Tons of injuries in his first year there. And uh, three years there. But uh, first year, despite being an injury-riddled season, 501 strikeouts and 479 innings. That dog will hunt. I'm giving up less than a hit per inning. I'm getting more than a strikeout per inning. Uh, more times than not, I'm going to do pretty well. He took Will Sanders as a guy that um, a lot of people just thought was an average pitcher. Turned him into a really quality SEC starter. Went 7-3 and three that year with a 3.43 ERA. Turned Kate Austin into a freshman All-American. The 2023 year, and this is where we get this is where we get in the reads here a little bit, and uh, it's important to kind of understand exactly what we're dealing with here. Again, they went to the super regionals. 4.19 ERA. Pretty incredible. That was second in the Southeastern Conference and 12th in the country. Jack Mahoney, we're gonna get to some of these pitchers a little bit later. He didn't even pitch in 2021. Put together a great year for them. James Hicks, great year for them. Great year for them. Chris Veach was a guy that was a dual position guy at Presbyterian. Comes to South Carolina and Veach is like, hey, Justin, you know, what can I do to be the dude? And Justin says, I got you. They turn him into a closer and ends up being one of the best closers in the Southeastern Conference and the country. That changeup is deadly. He's a four-pitch mix. Absolutely incredible. So look at the big numbers here for pitching. South Carolina second only to Tennessee in ERA this year. Era three point six two for Tennessee and South Carolina four point one nine. So it's about a run half a run difference, you know, but Tennessee, you know what they have with Dollander and Holverson and those guys. I mean it's ridiculous. There's a reason Tennessee's in Omaha. But South Carolina's not in Omaha. It had nothing to do with Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's EUFY.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video Smart Lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you've got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and you can see who's kind of coming and going. got that immigrated camera too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools, no drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. Get fingerprint recognition. UFY Video Lock. That's E U F Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's UFY. E U F Y. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. With pitching, one of the big numbers that jumps out to me, 58 home runs allowed. 58. Now, to put that in perspective, just to kind of make sure you understand where that ranks, that's the best in a Southeastern Conference. The best, now it's just by one. Auburn allowed just 59 home runs, but South Carolina allowed the fewest home runs in the Southeastern Conference this year. You say, well, 58, Steve, that seems like a lot. Well, it's not. Your Bulldogs gave up 90, Ole Miss gave up 98, Justin Parker staff gave up nearly half of what we at Ole Miss did. There's only two teams that gave up less than 60 home runs this year, and that's Auburn in South Carolina. And you know the kind of job Butch Thompson does. We've seen it up close, we understand. That guy knows how to develop pitchers. Batting average against, it's a big statistic, right? Well, they didn't lead in this, but still 246, which was 22 points better than what we allowed at 268. Georgia, Scott Strickland, considered one of the best pitching coaches in the country himself, they gave up 271, Ole Miss 272, Auburn 271, and you know what you got there. Missouri 254, Texas A&M 269, Arkansas with all their injuries just kind of right there with them, right, 263, Florida, Sully probably about to, to win an NFL championship, Batting average against the Gator pitchers this year was 235. And, again, there's Justin right there at 246. LSU with Paul Skeens, that kind of skews the numbers right. They're 226. Kentucky, 237. Vanderbilt, 220. So, my point is they finished in the top half of the league in in that statistical category, too. So, not only are you not giving up a lot of runs, you're not giving up a lot of hits, you're not walking a lot of people. So, here we are. That's pretty remarkable when you look at it. We talk about strikeouts. Strikeout numbers are always big. I'm a guy that believes in pitch efficiency. Of course, if you can strike people out, that's great. But you don't need to, you know, the the, the longer we can go in a ball game, the better we are. And sometimes that means pitching to contact. Tennessee leads the SEC with 716 strikeouts. LSU with Paul Skeen, 709. Those numbers are both pretty gaudy. Again, both those teams are at Omaha. Florida, they're in Omaha too, six hundred and seventy-six. AM, six hundred thirty-three, and then and then there's Justin at six oh eight. So the point that I'm seeing making here is that this is a group of guys that's done a great job, and there's not really a star unless it's Chris Veach on the South Carolina staff. This is about a system. This is about a staff and not, like at LSU, I mean, you know what you got with Paul Skeens, right? One of the best pitchers in the history of college baseball. But there's not a star pitcher at South Carolina. I mean, we can run through here. You know, most of the teams in the SEC, you could probably name a starter or two. Most of you, unless you're just, you know, really in-depth fans of the SEC, you probably couldn't pull a starter out from South Carolina. Probably couldn't. I would say most would. And again, that speaks well to what Justin Parker was able to do. Let's take a quick look here about development. We talk about development a lot. So let's look at uh, at Jack Mahoney's trajectory. All right, this is a guy that came in as a freshman, and everybody's like, well, you know, he's been pretty good. And he was. He got off to a 3-0 start. Um, was 3 0, 16 games pitched, most of those in relief, had five starts. And, uh, you know, it's pretty decent. Didn't pitch at all last year. This year goes out and posts a 7 and 4 record, 4.16 ERA, 17 starts. And again, this is a guy that didn't pitch last year. He didn't even pitch last year. And he ends up starting 17 games for South Carolina. Says a lot about Jack, says a lot about Justin. Let's talk about Noah Hall. Noah Hall is a guy that um, was at Appalachian State, went to South Carolina, and, and had a rough first year. A really rough first year as a pitcher. Uh, goes 3-5, 12 starts, gives up right out of hit per inning uh, with a 4.34 ERA. So, yeah, you know, I say rough. It was pretty it was fairly mediocre. This year he bounces back even though and only He only started seven games and he got injured. But he's 5-1 with a 3.29 ERA. So he was making the jump. He was serviceable his first year with Justin and then making the jump. And probably the trajectory of his career was changing. And he'll be drafted this year. But less than a hit per per inning. Pretty impressive stuff. Again, 5-1, 3.29 ERA. Pretty good stuff. And and, uh, we got him just in case you're curious about that. Just in case you're curious about that, his loss came to us. That's a 13-3 game. Will Sanders, been around this league a long time. Had a decent year, probably not the year they'd hoped. Probably looking for him to make a bigger jump. But again, a 4.4 record, 5.46 year. That's good for a Sunday starter, right? Start 11 games for him. Had a save. Less than a hit printing. Again, serviceable. And guys, we were taking serviceable a lot of times this year. One of the biggest jumps we've seen, though, in South Carolina this year is with James Hicks. James Hicks comes aboard in uh, 21. Doesn't do much at all. Just two games. Started both of them. Got an 0-1 record. 5.14 ERA. Just seven innings pitched. Allowed 10 hits. Four runs. That was it. This year... Much different deal. They turn him into a reliever and a part-time starter. He goes 8-1 and one on the year with a 3.48 ERA. Appeared in 25 games. Made six starts. Had two saves. 67 innings pitch. 59 hits. Well less than a hit per inning. That's a big jump right there. It is. Let's look at Chris Veach's numbers. Chris is so intriguing to me. He really is. So Chris, again, was a two-way player at Presbyterian. In 21, he has a 2-0 record. It was a reliever, had four saves. Did not, did not pitch at all last year. And he comes to South Carolina. And they goes, hey, let's, let's make you a P.O. here. And 2-1 uh, record, 3.46 ERA, six saves. In 26 innings pitch, Chris Veach allowed 16 hits. 16. That's it. And uh, a couple of those hits came against us. You know, we, uh, we faced him a couple times, and uh, both of the times that we faced him were games they won, 6-4 and 14-5. But Veach, again, a guy from Prez that comes in, and next thing you know, he's, he's a common household name in baseball circles in the Southeastern Conference. Nick Proctor was a transfer from Cal, grad transfer, that showed up at South Carolina. And uh, was kind of a seldom-used pitcher much of his career. He, did, he had a decent senior year out there, and you'd expect that as an older guy. But the best year of his career comes at South Carolina under the direction of Justin Parker. 5-0 record, 3.86 ERA, 23 appearances, all in relief, has a save. And again, we're right there at that one hit per inning deal. 25.2 innings pitched and 26 hits. Allowed us 11 runs on the year. Pretty impressive stuff. And again, much of his career was pretty average until his senior year at Cal, and he had a had a decent year, 4-1, 4-11, and we, we were taking that. But his the best year of his career is the one year he for Justin Parker. So I wanted to just throw those out there because I think it's important to understand that you know it's not just about recruiting, it's not just about a pitching lab. It's about a guy because in order for us to get to where we want to be, we've got to elevate the returning players. And again, I've said on a show before, there I mean, are a lot of guys that will just be better because of the fact they've had a year of experience. What do you think Justin Parker can do with Nate Dome? Nate transfers in from Ball State, has a decent year this year, got hemmed up a little bit. But what what will Justin see with Nate and say, hey, Nate, let's tweak this a little bit, maybe that, and let him let him ride? That's the thing that I'm eager to see because so many of our pitchers are basically carbon copies copies of each other. You know, same arm slot. In many respects, same mechanics. I think Nate's a little bit different. But in order for us to get back into the mix, the guys that are returning have got to make a jump, period. And that's the best thing about Justin Parker He's going to be able to give these guys some confidence because, hey, number one, he did it with basically a cast of guys that really weren't superstars. But also, two, guys got better under his direction. You can run all the way through the list. You know, Chris Feach, Proctor, these guys, they all had a role on this team. They embraced that role, and they helped this team get through super regionals. A team did many people, including myself, that thought, you know what, this may be the end of the line for Mark Kingston. I wasn't sold on South Carolina. Monty Lee comes in, does a great job on the hitting side, and then Justin Parker and these guys turned in a great year pitching-wise. So, again, this is a big day for Mississippi State, a huge day. And I think it's a huge day for the returning pitchers. Now, we got to go get in the portal too. We do. But in order for us to get to where we want to go, we've got to take what we have and make it better. I know people are like, oh, Steve, they all need to leave. You know, you just said that about Dakota Hudson, too, until Wes Johnson got a hold of him and made him a first-round draft pick. Dakota Hudson was a seldom-used pitcher here at Mississippi State. We don't win a SEC championship in 16 without him. He goes from complete unknown to being your Friday night guy. So don't rule out. I'm not suggesting one of these guys jumps into the first round, but don't rule out a big turnaround for some guys that maybe that you've given up on. that's an important aspect of this you're not going to be able to staff your pitching staff through the portal you got to go out and get a couple guys we've got to go get some guys for sure no doubt about it but one or two pitchers not going to make that much of a difference for us i mean there's no paul Skeens out there if you had paul Skeens, that just gives everybody a day off on fridays right maybe except for one reliever just to kind of finish up a ball game my point being though is there is talent on this campus and now we have hired a guy that can assist us in getting the most out of that talent, and a guy that's got credibility in the room. He can walk down. We're getting ready to play LSU, and say, "Hey, the guys are sitting there. Hey, how do we how do we attack Tommy White? Well, here's what we did in South Carolina. Here's what we've seen. Yeah, you bring in you know Mike Silva or or Rob Walton, bring those guys in. They hadn't faced that guy." They can't break down his tendencies. They can't find the hole in his swing. But Justin Sagat has done it. He studied it. That gives State, in my estimation, a running start from a pitching standpoint next season. It's the fact that you have a guy that knows this league, knows opposing hitters in a league that is going to get a lot younger next year because people people forget about this. The COVID guys are gone after this year with rare exceptions rare exception maybe one or two guys around but it, you know you look around this league and there's a lot of guys out there that ordinarily would have been gone you know, but due to COVID and the fact that we've uh, cut back on a draft a little bit you've got older guys coming to school but you know you've had some guys that were grown men out here in the SEC so the league is going to get a lot younger next year which I think kind of enables us to take a jump forward here it's important to understand all right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com, That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R. Go check it out today if you are a person in need of perhaps refinancing a mortgage or getting a mortgage. Blair's the way to go. 22 years of experience in the industry back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Top 1% close ratios in the country. He gets things done. And listen your mortgage is not like your lunch order, right? Anybody can go pick up lunch, but you need to deal with a mortgage professional. Nobody stays in an industry for 20 plus years by luck. Simple as that. I mean, you can get anybody to go pick up your lunch, but when somebody is as important as your mortgage, you need to entrust your mortgage in the hands of a professional. That's Blair Chandler. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. That goes directly to Blair. That's not through a call center. That's not through a receptionist. That is directly to Blair Chandler at Blair.com Be sure and let him know you heard about him on the boneyard. All right, you guys may be aware that uh, I'm writing book number six. Yes, number six. There have been five. Flim Flam, Stark villains, Alpha Dogs, Blooms of Oleander, and Dogpile. If you don't have them, get them. Book number six is uh, my story of personal recovery. You know, I was a guy that uh, lived a pretty riotous life and uh, had some consequences as a result. Had some fun, too. Wasn't all bad. But uh, nevertheless, I'm writing that story. I've been uh, clean and sober now 31 and a half years and a week and two days. It's a long time. It is. I am the exception rather than the rule. And there are a lot of people out there that would say, oh, you know, people are recovering at a, at a greater rate. And the truth of the matter is the numbers don't support that data. And uh, what we consider recovery is complete abstinence uh, from chemical dependence. That's recovery. And there are a lot of people out there that are just dry. this what well, we just stop using. You know, never really addressing the problem. I was the guy that had a lot of problems. And uh, as I have navigated through this book, it's kind of brought some things home. And, uh, yeah, the, the things you don't think about. I mean, it's your bones that were dead and buried a long time ago. And so I'm digging that stuff back up. I'm, uh, I'll start Chapter 10 today or tomorrow. And uh, book uh, Chapter 8 was very difficult for me. That's the year of 1991 when things really ran off the rails. So you have to read the book to kind of understand that. But I'm writing this book not in any way to you know point you know the spotlight on myself this is about establishing credibility with the still suffering addict and those people that still love them and show that there is hope hope is a wonderful thing and i will i will implore you never surrender anybody you love to the drugs or the alcohol it's difficult it is it requires some tough love and some thick skin but uh, there is hope for the hopeless. I am living proof. And so, as I've written this book, one of the things that I've done is I've gone back and listened to all these songs that I was listening to at that time. Because, you know, music is the best time machine in the world. And it's taken me back. And my earnest prayer throughout this process is that my mind would be opened up to some memories, perhaps, that uh, I don't share routinely. And the music has helped me do that. And as soon as I finish one chapter, I'm ready for the next. Chapter three was difficult to write, chapter eight was difficult to write. Uh, I finished up Chapter 8 Friday night and then sat down, uh, I guess I finished up Saturday, and uh, sat down Sunday morning and uh, went to work on Chapter 9, and we'll get started on Chapter 10. Chapter 10 uh, is right after I have been arrested and charged with everything but the Kennedy assassination. So, as I have written through this, I've referenced some songs and uh, somebody that's doing the reading for me, I got multiple people to work on that aspect of it. You know, kind of make sure that uh, that's part of the editing process. You got to make sure it all makes sense. There's a lot of jargon involved in recovery. There's a lot of things that require explanations and rewrites. And so I've referenced a lot of songs. And so they said, "Hey, wouldn't it be great if this was a movie someday? What would the motion picture soundtrack sound like?" Well, I've got it together for you. I got ten songs. They're not necessarily ranked. They're more chronological. But 10 songs, your top 10 list today, is what the, the book, When the Bottom Falls, would sound like if it were a movie. Fair enough? So 10 songs, all these obviously from the, the early 90s, from different genres, because uh, your good friend and host is a riddle rap within an enigma. I can't be limited by genre, even though I'm, I'm an 80s hairband guy, you know, by, uh, by admission. So, I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, context for each of these songs. So, uh, I was a stage performer with a band called Civello out of uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And uh, we were a big deal in the early 90s dancing. Chances are, if you came out and saw us, you saw me dance. You means you paid to see me dance. You did. And uh, you were kind of an unwitting conspirator. And my demise, because I took some of those times and efforts and uh, lived uh, high on the hill. One of the bands that uh, we at times shared a stage with, and I got to know the backup band, uh, there was a guy out of Baton Rouge by the name of Kuiper. And so his touring band was a group called Pastel out of Lafayette, Louisiana. Jason Hayes was an absolute freak of nature on the keyboards. And uh, Pastel actually had a song that um, would have been a big hit. It was a great song called uh, No Sex Without Latex, obviously an ode to safe sex. But uh, they spent some time touring with Kuiper, kind of sharpened his saw a little bit. They were amazing. They were an amazing band. But most people saw them as Kuiper's band. And uh, Kuiper obviously had some big hits before uh, they broke through in the 90s. Kuiper had uh, that great hit, Conceded, and then What Gets Your Body Hype? Ecstasy. Ecstasy. But the big hit for Kuiper uh, used a sample of Yes's Owner of a Lonely Heart, and it was Tic Tac Toe. It's a game I used to play. Number 10 on your list is Kuyper's Tic-Tac-Toe. Number 9, arguably my favorite dance song of all time. I, I could probably put a good list together of my favorite dance songs. This is one of those ones that was uh, sure to get me on my, on the dance floor. Now, probably my favorite song from the era is a song called My Girlie" from a guy named MC Flash from Baton Rouge. And uh, that's not available on Spotify or iTunes, so we're not going to use that. But I wanted to give flash a shout out it's on youtube if you ever want to hear that if you're ever looking for some old school 90s dance stuff that is a great track an absolute amazing track and uh, there was a seven inch record that kind of made uh, its way around i really thought flash was going to make it this song is incredible and uh great dance song however you know them from uh, like a record you know you spin me right round like a record you know that one you know that one my favorite song from dead or Alive, which is an amazing dance track and uh, also, kind of an LSD laden uh, song, uh, and one that was um, kind of an, you know, I guess in some ways kind of an anthem about uh, casual sex, but it's a great song called Come Home with Me, Baby, from Dead or Alive, number nine. Great track, and maybe you know it, maybe you don't. If you don't, you should. Number eight, and you didn't think you'd get this today, we got a rap song on here. I was into uh, a little bit of everything back then. And, musically and uh narcotically if that's a word but uh i love this album and i remember hearing it i was uh, hanging out with some friends of mine that that really were into rap at the times and i liked amg but um we're going back w- word to dj quick it's a great track called tonight it's a song about partying it's a song about getting too drunk i'm not gonna drink tonight well, i'm gonna do it anyway you know and so in many ways it kind of was uh kind of anthemic for me, kind of how I lived my life at the time. So number eight is DJ Quicks tonight. Number seven, I was involved in a relationship I shouldn't have been. Uh, I admit that there's a lot of details about that. And uh, the fact that I lived through it is, is a remarkable thing. It nearly took me under. I'm not going to lie. And you'll have to read the book to get the details. But uh, she had another guy in her life and she would go back and forth between he and I. And uh, Eventually, he did and said some things that really kind of got to me and really got me angry. And so I was working at a radio station at the time. I was a program director. And so I dubbed a copy of the the song THC Groove from the Bullet Boys. And the chorus, uh, it's not melodic in any way. And Mark Torian basically sings, you know, kind of yells, I don't think you're funny anymore. And so I made a copy of that and I left it on his front door. And then he's like trying to figure it out. What are they saying? What are they saying? Well, it was just basically a declaration of war. Like I kind of let things go for a while and uh, things really escalated from there. But uh, I gave him a theme song for my resentments. Well, things didn't work out. And uh, again, she was going back and forth. And there was a time I I really, really, really was despondent. And uh, I was listening to a band called Cold Sweat. Now, you don't know much about Cold Sweat unless you're really, really, really an '80s hair band enthusiast, but Cold Sweat was kind of a side project from a guy named Mark Ferrari, who was an underappreciated guitar player from the era, he was in the band Keel, and you may know Keel from The Right to Rock. They were great. But Ferrari did a side project with Cold Sweat, and initially, the singer in Cold Sweat was a guy named Ani Logan. He ultimately left and went to another band. The big story is when. Um, Annie was in this band. They were initially called Ferrari, after Mark Ferrari. And when George Lynch went to recruit Annie Logan away from Cold Sweat slash Ferrari, the famous quote that Eddie Trunk told me. He said that George Lynch told Annie, he said, "Hey, you can be in a band called Ferrari, or you can drive a Ferrari." And then they got him. But it's a great power ballad if you like that sort of thing. And you you may not know this one, but. it's one that you know kind of speaks to me but it's a, a an, an album, song called waiting in vain from cold sweat number six ways to get drunk and feel sorry for myself listen to that number five probably one of those songs like anytime i hear this it uh, elicits emotion for me and uh the great, great great legendary album from skid row came out in 91 debuted at number one on the billboard charts If memory serves me correct, it's the first heavy metal album to debut at number one and ship platinum. Because everybody loved the self-titled album, you know, with Youth Gone Wild and 18 in Life and I Remember You, which every song on that album sounded like a single. And they came out of nowhere. They were on the uh, New Jersey tour with Bon Jovi, and next thing you know, they're taking them around the country. The guys exploded. So, Slave to the Grind... That album debuted at number one as Platinum, which is remarkable. says a lot about uh, that album. And again, every song of that album from start to finish, it's one of those ones you can just put on and Let It Play. And it's really the album Sebastian Bach wanted to make. When he joined Skid Row, they were kind of already a touring band, and he was better than the singer they had. And so they upgraded the singer. So a lot of the, the material from the first album was already written. And so Slave to the Grind, by and large, is an album written with Bach in mind. But there's a great track on there. And uh, it was a song that meant an awful lot to me in the depths of my despair. And it's uh, In a Darkened Room from Skid Row. That's your number five song today, In a Darkened Room. Because, you know, you've had those experiences where somebody has hurt you so deeply, you just don't even want to see them, you know. Like the whole part, of, and he he sings about it, you know, the fear of running into you. We've all experienced that because it all kind of, you relapse emotionally, right? It's like, okay, I'm doing okay, I'm doing okay. <sighs> Back to square one. So in a darkened room from Skid Row, number five. Number four, when I was locked up in a RID program, and uh, that's kind of where we are now. I've been arrested, so we're going to write that. We're going to talk about the RID program, some things that went on there. You know, I just kind of realized, too, that you know, I didn't have the relationship with my dad that I wanted to. And, uh, of course, I'm, I'm not in any way being critical of my dad. I feel like he did the best that he could. And there's some things, obviously, as a child, that I didn't understand. I became a father myself, and I really began to realize I think he did the best he could. And as, as I got older, we became best friends. And uh, we lost my dad several years ago. But uh, it, there was a time I really wanted to have a better relationship with him. And I was at fault for a lot of that, but I wasn't all all at fault for that. And so I sent him the lyrics to the Faster Pussycat Classic, House of Pain. And uh, I know those guys and Faster Pussycat. I was hoping to go see them this week, but we're going to change our plans and go see them another time. Anytime they're in a reasonable driving distance, we try to go. Those guys are my buds. And um, Tammy and I have talked about how difficult that was for him to write that song. And I told him a story one day. I said, hey, I never told you this, man, but when I was locked up in jail, I sent this letter to my dad and I included the lyrics of House of Pain in there. And, and uh, it really kind of, kind of became maybe the impetus for us to have a better relationship. I don't think he knew that I felt that way, that I felt as negatively as I did about really my life in general. But um, anyway, it became kind of the first step in us kind of figuring some things out. And uh, again, we became best friends. Number three, this is a great song too. And it's, it's a bit of a, um, a deeper track on the Lynch Mob album. We've talked about George Lynch a little bit and how he recruited Annie Logan away from Mark Ferrari's band. You may know Wicked Sensation. You may know River of Love. Those were the first two singles. And then they released uh, All I Want, which is great. But uh, there's a song that's very, very, very important to me. And uh, it was really probably at at my lowest point as a drug addict, even though I continued to do some research before I got clean and sober. I wasn't one of those addicts that saw the light. I had to feel the heat, right? You know what I'm saying? There's some people that feel that way. I was not a person that had to have it explained to me. I had to experience some consequences. And uh, there's a song that was in many respects kind of like, you know, kind of the theme song of my recovery. Again, this negative relationship had nearly taken me under. And, uh, And so the song is called Bed of Roses from Lynch Mob. Not the Bon Jovi version. It's Bed of Roses. And I kind of realized you'll never change. And it's that moment where you kind of realize, you know what? This is never going to work out. That, that moment of clarity where it's like, you know what, I have invested so much of myself into this and now I see there is no path forward. That was the moment. And so when Dana and I first got pregnant, we started talking about what we wanted to name our kids. And I said, hey, there was a moment that I decided when I really wanted to live. I had a failed suicide attempt and this song is kind of part of that. you have to read the book for the details. But, um, and so I told her the story and she's like, oh, that's so beautiful. And I said, I'd love to be able to name a child. After that moment, and the guy that wrote that song's name is Annie Logan. So my oldest son, his name is Annie Logan Robertson. And ironically, after Annie Logan left Lynch Mob, he formed a project with Rowan Robertson from Dio. So it was the Logan Robertson project. At one time they were called Violet's Demise when Chad from Faster Pussycat was in the band, but it ultimately was released as Logan Robertson. And it's kind of ironic that Annie Logan Robertson. And then the Logan Robertson Project, where Oni's a singer. I think he actually pronounces it Oni. But either way, uh, he's named after him. Number two, this song will always mean a lot to me. There are some times it'll come on. And I'm not going to lie, as you're a good friend and host, I believe we have a relationship, we can be honest with one another. There are sometimes this song comes on, and uh, my cheeks get wet, man. I do. Because when this song first came out, I was a big Duran Duran fan back in my club days, like when they were... Yeah, they went from being kind of like they reinvented themselves. They weren't just top 40 anymore. They were writing more stuff that was played in clubs, like All She Wants, and, uh, which was great. But when they released the wedding album, I was young and sobriety, and uh, I would hear Ordinary World, and that's really so much of what I wanted. Like I had lived such an extraordinary life on both sides of the spectrum. There were the best of times and the worst of times. I just wanted to be a regular guy. I just wanted to be run of the mill, just be ordinary. I wanted to get up, go to work every day, pay my bills, um, and just be able to live, you know, without all this drama. That's why I just wanted a drama-free life. So when Ordinary World came out, and it talks about, you know, I won't cry for yesterday because there's an ordinary world that I somehow have to find. And so even now, like when that song comes on, I remember how difficult that was, you know, how, how that felt. You know, because I just wanted to be a regular dude. And in time, you know, once I kind of got my legs under me a little bit, I wanted to have an extraordinary life. But I wanted to all be very positive. I wanted to accomplish something in life. I didn't just want to be run-of-the-mill. But there was a time in in early recovery where that was the goal, is to just be a regular dude. You know, to not be on stage, to not, you know, be at concerts and things like that and throwing wild parties. I just wanted to be run-of-the-mill, blue-collar, regular Joe. And this song was was very anthemic in that respect. And it also reminds me, too, of where I've come from. All these years later, you know, all these years later, I never thought I'd still be alive, to be honest with you. And I I told Dana that yesterday. And I get emotional thinking about this stuff, you know, especially reliving it, writing the book. And I told her, if I hadn't met you, I'd probably be dead or in the penitentiary. And that sounds like rhetoric, and it's not. It's not hyperbole at all. It's true. It's true. I was a much different person. I always had something to say, just hadn't nobody listened to me. And so now here we are all these years later, and uh, it's remarkable. Sometimes I look back and I think about the pathology of my life, and I'm just wondering, you know, how did I get here? What's well, through the grace of God and through recovery and the love of a good woman? you know. And uh, there have been times my walk with all of the above hasn't been what I wanted it to be. But I know who I am and what I'm about, and I know who I belong to. And uh, I'm grateful to have found the ordinary world and then uh, transcended that into an extraordinary life. And I'm very, very grateful. Number one, though, and this is one of those songs I, I'm actually I tweeted about this earlier, As uh, some old Miss guy tried to point out that I was a drug addict at one time. And I'll always be a drug addict. I'm just in recovery. I'm in recovery from addiction. I still have the gene. You know, I still carry that. You know, I still carry that old... Uh, that old behavior, but the reality of it is I don't exhibit that anymore. Every time stuff comes up and I get mad, you know, and I, maybe I want to go do something self-destructive, but I just don't do it because I've learned a new way to live. And I remember when uh, Dana and I, we had a friend, I'll call him Thermos because I don't want to break his anonymity, but um, people used to call me Scully and they called him Thermos. Everybody had like a code name within our little club. And uh, we had just really discovered grunge because you know, I was alive during that. You know, so it's like when you, when you guys are like, oh, I remember that. You know, you know kids today don't, don't understand. Grunge lasted like 18 months, and it felt like 15 minutes. All credit to Andy Warhol. But I remember as music began to change, and um, I was a huge Soundgarden fan. Soundgarden and Pearl Jam were great. They re-released the Temple of the Dog album. We got really into that, learned about Andrew Wood and his story with addiction, and we got really into Mother Love Bone kind of you know, posthumously. And we loved that Apple album from Mud Love Bone. Still do. Still listen to it. Uh, especially Crown of Thorns and some of those. But the song for me that pulled me in was Dog Champion. And I would be in meetings sometimes and I would say, hey, I'm Steve, I'm an alcoholic, an addict, and a Dog Champion. And we saw that as something positive. And it sounds kind of silly in hindsight, but it was kind. Of, we were kind of a group within the group. Uh, because I think there was just so much stigma attached to being an alcoholic and an addict. I wanted to say something, you know what? I, but I'm also an overcomer. I'm not a survivor by any stretch of the imagination. Survival means that I got lucky. I didn't get lucky. I did my work. I did a lot of work. I had to become a different person. So like when people say, well, you know, they're a survivor. Okay, good for them. Congratulations. But you haven't really accomplished anything by simply surviving. If you survive, it's like you're having a plane crash and just, you know, it was left up to chance. You know, but somebody's got to lead us out of the wilderness, and that was me. I'm an overcomer. I'm not a survivor. Don't ever, don't ever, 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 ever think I got lucky. I didn't. The only thing that I was lucky enough to do, really two things. I was lucky enough to be granted a second chance at life and I made the most of it. And I was lucky enough along that path to meet a woman that, that truly loved me. And uh, the days that I didn't feel worth it, she certainly did. And, and it made a difference. It did. So if the event, if we ever make this a movie, and, and it, I'm sure that it won't, but if we ever did, this would be our motion picture soundtrack. And, you know, maybe we'd get Down to go out there and recover, you know, cover one of my, you know, uh, obscure 80s classics or something, and we'll call that the theme. But, um, you know, and one other thing, too, I want to tell you that I started to include this, but I didn't, but I want to give them a shout out. We've talked about this band before. It's a band called Sleep Theory out of Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, they're going out with Shinedown this summer. And I hope to be able to go see them. They've only played like three or four shows, but they're really causing a stir in the music industry. And um, the title of the book, When the Bottom Falls, is inspired by their song, Another Way. And we had that number one on our new rock countdown here recently. And uh, one day I was just driving out to Mexico and trying to figure out what I needed to write about. You know, So many people are ready for me to write the Leach biography or write another book about state stories. And I, I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I said, you know, this is it. I think I want to do this. And um, I ended up listening to that song on repeat because I just felt like the song was kind of speaking to me. I know it sounds kind of metaphysical and supernatural, but I just felt like there was a message within the song that maybe I was missing. And every time that I listened to it, it's just like there was more emphasis in my mind about the phrase, when the bottom falls. And I'm one of those addicts too. Like I was very ignorant, you know, I was very stubborn, probably a better way to put it. Now I'm just kind of stubborn about the right things. But people talk about the proverbial bottom. Oh, they hit bottom, they hit bottom. Listen, the only true bottom is death. That is the only true bottom because things can always get worse. And they did for me. Like every time I would do something, oh, well, this is it, you know, no, 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 no. I kept digging. I'd hit bottom, I'd keep digging. And the next thing you know, the supports would, uh, would exhaust and the bottom would fall again. And I kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And deeper. So don't ever buy this whole thing, oh, they were at rock bottom. No, nah, no, nah. you can always go out and make it worse. There's always something else left to lose. And i would gotten to a point the only thing left to say was my life. And so I don't say that in any way to, again, you know, put me up on some type of pedestal. My hope is, is through my own experience, there are other people that can say, you know what, I can learn from that. And I can promise you this, if you're experimenting with drugs and you think to yourself you can handle it, there is a good chance that you can't, and uh, you know we deal with this stuff all the time. But I'll, I'll just grant you this: when addiction truly gets its hooks in you, it is nearly impossible to get free. Nearly impossible. I've shared these statistics before, and they haven't been updated in a couple of years. So I have to. I could do my own research, but I've, I was writing something about addiction a while back, a couple of years ago, more. I guess three or four years ago now. And the Betty Ford Clinic had statistics out there that 1 in 25 people that need professional help for substance abuse issues get it. 1 in 25 people that need it. And of the group, we're talking of that 4%, 1 in 25 of that group ever has a period of sobriety that lasts a year or more. So we're talking 4% of 4%. That's how rare this thing is. And so we've, and that's the one of the reasons that I feel the need to be so transparent about this, not in any way to say, hey, the numbers are wrong, but to show people, hey, there is another way. You can do it. You can do it. And it's important to understand that. So the book will be out uh, this fall, you know, way ahead of schedule. And uh, had to kind of resist the temptation to write some more yesterday because I let, let my mind rest so I can attack it fresh because I don't want it just to just be done. I want it to be great. So look forward to that. We'll have a pre-sale link up for you soon. And just because you, you pre-buy the book doesn't mean you're going to get it for it in bookstores. We'll let you know, but you order it and we'll have it shipped to you. And uh, you can get signed to personalized copies. But in addition to that, too, um, we're going to have that up for you sooner rather than later. They're working through all that now. It's it's all a process that I don't have a hand in. Uh, but we'll, we'll share that with you. But, uh, again, probably get done writing the book the end of next month i hope all the editing's done by then it takes about five or six weeks to print and so we hope to have it out for football season but i doubt it's going to be the beginning of football season but sometime in september early october we hope to have this book on the shelf and uh, i've shared the uh, the cover with you all but uh, again it's a big part of what i'm doing right now and that's the thing too now that the coaching search the pitching coaching search uh, is over that uh, we won't have to work. Devote as much time to that. We can go and get the book finished. But uh, I'm very happy with the work so far. And um, people ask me, you know, what do, what would you consider success? Well, a book like this, you know, I'm not I'm not counting numbers. Yes, I think the book will sell well, but that's not really the issue. My hope is the book finds its way into the hands of somebody that truly needs it. Somebody that needs some inspiration, whether they be in recovery, or whether they be in addiction, or whether they be a person that loves an addict or an alcoholic. And just needs some wisdom and uh, the really the first half of the book is about me establishing credibility and putting some things out there that are very unflattering and uh, I'm not nervous about it but uh, I understand that I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with that on Twitter but it's worth it to me right I mean people out there that I mean they already call me a crackhead and a meth or whatever and that stuff's true but the reality of it is it doesn't matter what my drug of choice was I mean the addiction is addiction period and so if you or somebody you know is uh, dealing with addiction issues let me encourage you to get help because there is hope all right next segment of the show brought to you by our friends at campus bookmark a Stark billion institution been here forever today doing a great job for a great fan base as always go by and check them out kind of neatly positioned on the backside of campus you can swing through there do your shopping on game day take that right on the campus, and next thing you know, you're at Mississippi State's historic sports venues. If you can't make it to town to peruse their fine selections, you can do so online at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. And again, mom, I'm speaking on behalf of your family, your husband, your children, whoever you have, whoever you love, whoever you break bread with, people you care about. We all want new Mississippi State merch. Football season is going to be here soon. We could use a a fresh jersey. The kids have grown a little bit. Don't send the kids to Davis Wade Stadium with last year's gear. Just don't do it. Uh, Yes, I understand that Maybe you bought it last year. And they grew into it, but it's probably threadbare by now, right? So go ahead and buy yourself something. And Dad, listen, it was just Father's Day. Chances are somebody threw a you know threw a pair of socks at him on their way out the door. You know Mother's Day. You know you got you know probably hired a professional photographer, had a catered meal. Dad didn't get a whole lot for Father's Day because Dad doesn't ask a whole lot for Father's Day. But let me tell you this on behalf of all the fathers out there. We love to get those special gifts for nothing, just because you love us, right? Matter of fact, I wore a shirt yesterday. My wife bought me, and it was a Father's Day gift. But it says, be careful, or I'll put you in my next book. (laughs) How perfect is that? How perfect is that? So find the perfect gift for your family at campusbookmart.net. All right, let's move forward here. So people wonder now, Steve, what's next for Mississippi State baseball? Well, it's portal recruiting time, man. And that was the thing... Many of you, listen, we shared the same concern. We did. And, uh, you know, we've got to be very active in the portal. And, listen, the portal's been open now, you know, for the better part of three weeks. There hasn't been a lot of SEC, you know, commitments out there, especially on the pitching side. But there have been some. We've got to go get some players. Now, third base, in many respects, is probably as big a need as we have, obviously. You know, uh, Slate offered has moved on. And uh, well, listen, we wish Slate the best. You know, I, as long as it's not against us, right? Um, it didn't work out. You know, this time last year, we were all excited. You know, all of us were excited, saying, hey, here's the deal. We got to be able to, um, you know, put, put together a, a good lineup. And we expected, you know, big, 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 big power numbers from Slate. We did get some defensively it was a mess and so whether slate elected to stay or not and the chances of that were pretty slim we were going to go get a third baseman on the portal now we're still chasing some guys we are one of the guys that uh, is on the radar is alabama freshman colby shelton he is a native of lithia florida went to bloomingdale high school had a huge freshman season at alabama this year absolutely huge didn't have a good weekend against us he goes oh for seven against the bulldogs we did a good job attacking him but this is a guy with 25 home runs and 51 rbi he is going to be a hot commodity i understand lsu is already after him despite the fact that uh, they have tommy white coming back because he's not draft eligible but Colby White, DH, still out last year defensively. It was a bit of an adventure, but uh, he was a freshman. So, you know, maybe you bring him in, maybe DHs, I don't know. But uh, at the end of the day, you've got to go out there and find some offense. you got to go out there and do some big things. And uh, he's not the only one, obviously. There's some other guys out there that we're looking for, and we're looking at. Uh, but that's a name that you may be familiar with as we kind of move forward here. Colby Shelton that that's a name whether he comes to Mississippi State or not if you keep up with uh, the summertime recruiting cycle and that's all relatively new that's going to be a name that people are going to be mindful of hey this is a guy that's probably a future big leaguer here you know kind of where do things stand with him you know where where do things go that's a name not sure he's going to be a bulldog but that's a name Another name worth keeping up with is Cade McGee from Gonzaga. He is a native of Tucson, Arizona, went to South Point Catholic High School. He may end up going to Arizona or Arizona State, staying somewhere out in the Pac 12. I don't know. But that's a guy right there, too, that uh, went into Portal, and a lot of people are talking about him. The sophomore this year hit 293, uh, had six home runs and 20 RBIs, but he is a guy that a lot of people believe has a big league future ahead of him. So that's another name to kind of keep up with. Again, don't know where state is in this process. And uh, listen, things are going to be tight-lipped. It's not like football, basketball recruiting, you know, where every offer gets tweeted. Even the high school recruits don't do that. You know, it's it's interesting the dynamic between recruiting among the sports, football and basketball. You know, uh, they're full scholarship sports, so people put that out there. It's it's worthy of celebration. Not that baseball is not, but a lot of times, you know, these coaches really don't want the offers out there. They just don't. And so as a result, the kids kind of go along with that. I remember interviewing Imani Larry last year. He had a handful of offers, but you go look at his social media profile, he didn't have anything out there until he committed to Mississippi State. There is going to be some of that. We're also gonna be respectful of the process over at jeanspage.com. You know, we wanna we'd love to be able to announce commitments, but when it comes to the baseball side, there's a lot of ownership with the players about announcing their commitments. So we'll get reaction. You know, we'll we'll talk to them afterwards and kind of figure out kind of what's happening with them, why they chose Mississippi State. But that's going to be a big part of things uh, over the course of the next uh, six weeks or so. Because you'd like to be able to get guys on campus, get them to tour, and then ultimately have them enroll for the second session of summer school, which will be here before you know it. And then the guys that don't, have, obviously you have till July 13th to hit the portal. I don't think there's going to be a big rush late there's not a lot of, you know, in-season baseball left to be played. We're going to talk a little bit about the College World Series before we get out of here. But we do anticipate once the College World Series is over that you will see more guys go into the portal. And then there'll be some shifting, right? There'll be some, some guys that are out there looking for better opportunities. And State has had some success, mainly, mainly with position players in the portal. You know, the year R.J. Yeager had. You, you go back even to the grad transfer stuff. Scotty Brule was a guy that came in here and did some big things. Zach Neff uh, was a guy back in 18. A lot of people weren't sure what to expect from Neff, and we don't get to Omaha without Zach that year. Outstanding. Outstanding year for him, and his numbers weren't good. We got David Dunleavy, too. David didn't hang around for a while. But, um, you know, the pitching side, it's been very hit or miss in the portal. And as I've shared on the show before, we have a large number of pitchers coming back, and that's going to be the real chore for Parker is to get those guys up to SEC snuff. But that's not enough. We have got to go out and get some pitchers in this portal, some guys, and compete on the weekend. And there's not a, lot of, a ton of guys out there that are proven starters on the Power 5 level that are going to be in the portal. Those jobs are hard to come by. But there will be some G5 guys that uh, are looking to make a move. And sometimes the deal was made before they even go in the portal, which is something that probably should be investigated. But all that being said, uh, college baseball is woefully underfunded. And so these guys are, uh, you know, having travel team coaches or or whatever that are like reaching out on their behalf to say, hey, if so-and-so goes in the portal, would you be interested so a guy may be happy where he is, but uh, may get a better opportunity to boost his Major League Baseball draft stock by going to a bigger conference. And you see a lot of that, guys coming from the G5 to the Power 5. And sometimes there is a year of acclimation. And so you've had to face an SEC hitter regularly. You don't really know what you are. You think you know. And it's one thing to face some guys in a midweek Tuesday game. Because, you know, listen, let's just be honest. The scouting reports are, just, are basically – Pretty basic. You get into a weekend, it's a much different dynamic. People are going to pay special attention because those games just tend to matter a little bit more. Not that midweeks don't matter. They absolutely do. If you don't think they do, you know, go ask your uh, your friends at Kansas State. You know, one of the last teams uh, excluded from the tournament. And a lot of it had to do with their midweek record. And so if you take that approach, if midweeks don't matter, you can't complain when you get left out of the NCAA tournament uh, come May. But when you're pitching midweeks, nobody puts a lot of effort into that. I mean, they do in some respects, but it's not like pitching SEC weekends because you go out there and pitch on Friday, You know that two-seamer on the hands may work the first three weekends, but all of a sudden people pick up your tendencies and by the middle of the year the things that work for you in week one don't work for you anymore. There always has to be some in-season adjustment to that, and that's not really the case on a G five level, not to say there's not some good coaches down there, but the reality of it is the best coaches in college baseball are in the Southeastern conference. So they're going to chew you up. That's why you need a good pitching coach to kind of handle those in season adjustments. It's like, Hey, well this, this is how we pitch them. Let's maybe not resort to constantly, you know, throwing that change up away to a left-handed hitter because eventually people are going to jump on that. And if you can't keep people off the fastball, the complimentary pitches are just kind of for show anyway. That's important to understand. That's why getting a guy like Justin Parker is so significant. So, third base, priority one, and we got to get a couple of weekend guys. Uh, you got you, know, you feel like, hey, Lofton is returning to good health, and I am a huge Bradley Lofton fan. I and mean, when you can whip it in there from ninety-five on the left-hand side, and then go out there and throw an eighty-five mile-an-hour or eighty-five to eighty-nine slider, and then drop down the low eddies with a change, that's tough to beat. It is. That guy's got big league stuff, you know. And you feel like too, you know, now that he's healthy, I think the control issues will get better too. And that's—he you know, was a competitive guy. There, he, sometimes he'd walk the bases loaded and strike out the side. Well, if we can eliminate the uh, the walks, I think we've got something special in Brad Loth. We've done that all along. I'm eager to see what Justin Parker's going to do with him. I think it is a big, big thing for him. And you look at Gerangelo. And there's some people out there, you know, they'll, they'll try to work the back channels and try to get Duranzo to go into the portal. Uh, last report I got is that he's fine. You know, he's good to go. Plans to return. He's happy with his teammates. Uh, Rice High Phil is a big part of that. Ross is an alpha dog, even in, in his freshman year. He was the guy that did his best to try to lead and help manage the pitchers a little bit. So, you know, we've got a good nucleus of young players. You know, Hunter Hines has already announced his, his plan to return. We expect Dakota Jordan to do so too. Dakota and Slate offered are very connected in many respects. So that'll be something to watch too. If Slate goes somewhere, the, you know, they may that school may make a run at Dakota. But I feel like we're in a good spot. But, uh, again, third base pitchers, uh, you yeah, know, and, and, again, if you can find a difference maker in the outfield, you don't have to have an outfielder, but I don't think it's going to be a portal class as big as what we saw last year. You know, Connor Isaac up there is just tearing it up. It, that's not the most competitive league. But it's good to see Connor get some at-bats. I think Connor's a guy that can really help us next year. But if you can find the difference maker in the outfielder, I think you take him. I think the depth pieces are going to be there. We worry a little bit about depth on the infield. I mean, really at every position. I mean, Aaron Downs is a guy that's a little bit of uh, of a Swiss Army knife guy. You can kind of move him around a little bit. But... You know, Dylan Cup comes to class, and that's what we continue to hear. I had somebody tell me Dylan Cup, is shortstop, one of the top 100 players in this draft, that um, he is probably going to require top 10 money to bypass a college career. And that's a guy, obviously, that can come in and compete right away and probably be your starting shortstop. Defensively, he is elite. You know, the bat obviously has, uh, you know, a little ways to go, and you expect that adjustment you know with younger guys but uh, there are a lot of people that think hey as, as one scout told me he said hey did did you like Jacob Gonzalez I said I love Jacob Gonzalez and that's a lot coming from a state guy talking about an old Miss guy he says this kid can be Jacob Gonzalez that's high praise and, he, and Gonzalez likely a first rounder this year that guy can really play really play and so if we get anything close to that shortstop, And, you know, it's been a while since you've had that shortstop. Number one, that could just be a defensive stopper for you. Uh, you know, Lane had some big moments and some other ones he didn't. You know, 2021, 20, we go to Omaha, we were flawless, and there was a stretch last year where he went several games, uh, you know, 20-some-odd games without making an error. This year, he just he got the yips for some reason, and you hate it because he's such a nice kid. But Dylan Cup is that alpha dog guy. He is that guy that expects to win. He is that guy that inspires his teammates to victory. He is the guy that likes to go deep in the sixth hole, make that throw across the diamond, get the crowd on their feet. It's also an intimidator. And you talk about David Mershon, you know what Mershon can be. I mean, that that guy's probably your leadoff guy for the next three years. And I don't think he's going to command a lot of attention from Major League Scouts, even when he gets to be a junior. He may. He may. But you could probably swat him a second. And then there's always a possibility that Amani could come back. I mean, I've had some people tell me they think he's going to go in the top ten rounds. And I had some other people that said, you know, he make him much later than that. And so he'll have a decision to make. It'll just depend on draft positioning. But, you know, if, if Amani gets drafted, and I suspect that'll be the case, you know, then all of a sudden you look and you've got some really young guys there. You could probably use a guy. But, you know, where does Nate Chester factor in? I mean, Nate's having a good summer, too. But again, maybe that's quality competition. But Nate's a guy, too, that uh, could probably give you some depth in the middle infield. But having to rely on a freshman and a sophomore back up the middle, um, you know, that's a concern. No matter how talented Dylan Cup could be defensively, there is an acclimation period. It's just a guy that's played in front of hundreds and will play in front of tens of thousands here. It's a much different dynamic. When you boot that ball in the middle of the infield, you know, against uh, Waxahachie, Tech, high school, nobody tends to notice. You do it here, it ends up on SEC Network. Much different deal. So that's what we'll transition into now. And people always ask, do you think Justin Parker will bring any pitchers with him? I don't. I I don't because I think most of the guys that he has there uh, are going to be draft eligible. They're going to lose a lot this year. And I think that factors in the decision a little bit, too you know as a fact you're kind of starting fresh and a lot of people wonder you know there was uh, you know the mercer kid from Notre Dame committed to South Carolina and Parker was his primary recruiter does he bring him with him because that's not you know a pre-existing relationship through the South Carolina program uh do they get him in you know because nobody signed anything you know it's, it's about enrollment so maybe that's an issue too maybe maybe Parker can go get that guy but you know Parker's a guy obviously that has been a recruiter and a guy that understands evaluation and we went through the file earlier i mean he has had success at every stop and one of the things that i want to point out too because i've seen some comments well he never stays anywhere long yeah because he's a hot commodity that continues to rise up the ranks right state to central florida to indiana to south carolina who wouldn't want that career path and now to mississippi state and that's all due respect to South Carolina. But uh, the reality of it is, is you know, when it comes to baseball budgeting, state just has the bigger checkbook. South Carolina is a fantastic college baseball program. Absolutely fantastic. And the second best stadium in the Southeastern Conference. If you've never been to Founders Park, the next time we go, you owe it to yourself to go. It's a great facility for college baseball. And you walk through there and they've got those two National championship uh, you know, trophies up there. It's a nice little photo op. and. A, I remember telling John Cohen after I went up there, I said, we need to do this. <laughs> when we win an AFL championship, we need to have a permanent photo opportunity for people at Duty Noble Field to get their picture made with an AFL championship trophy. And we do, and I'll be honest with you, it's not as extravagant as what they have at South Carolina, but it is super cool because you get the vision of the of Duty Noble right behind you. But, uh, but all that said, I don't think you're gonna see, uh, you know, Justin, you know, Kind of pilfered the roster there at South Carolina. I just don't think there's a lot there. And also, there's probably some understanding, too. You know, we're not going to go bring those guys across a conference. I and, mean, you know, again, his loyalty now has to be to us. But there's just, there's not a lot to choose from, is kind of my point. But there will be some recruiting relationships that he has established. And as John Whittle shared last week, you know, he was out recruiting up in Cary, North Carolina, going to see some players. And so uh, those relationships are now Mississippi State relationships. And so now state needs to be able to cash in on every bit of that. All right, next and final segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Portico. If you're looking to move the Golden Triangle, and you should be, we love it up here, ma'am. It's great. We're living high life up here in Star Vegas. Uh, look no further than Portico. Maybe you've got to work around the state. Maybe you just need to be centrally located somewhere. I don't know. There's not a better place to raise a family than Starkville, Mississippi. Great place to live great place to recreate, a great place to bring your family. Schools are good here. People are great here. Mississippi State is here. Uh, give our friend Brooks Bryan a call at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Portico neatly positioned 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. You turn off 82 and twelve. go on to campus, very first ride right is Pat Station Road, go to the four-way stoppers, Portico. Give yourself a self-guided tour next time you come to town. You'll see they got two-bedroom, two-bath homes, and go all the way up to four-bedroom, four-bath homes. Uh, how cool would it be, grandmom, to have everybody under one roof the night before a big ball game? And after a big ball game, everybody comes back and, and Nana's made uh, you know dinner. How cool is that? How wonderful would that be? You can make that a reality by working with our friends at Portico. Make it your next move. All right, College World Series moves on. Uh, it's been super cool, and I don't know how you feel about it, but um, I've enjoyed getting to see all this. Of course, uh, as you guys know, Oral Roberts, going back to the beginning, on that side of the bracket, Oral Roberts takes down TCU 6'5, Florida, then 6-5 Winners over Virginia. The next day in that bracket, TCU takes out Virginia. So Virginia, the first team eliminated from the College World Series. And I think that speaks really a lot about the ACC. It's kind of been Wake Forest and everybody else in many respects. Great game last night between Florida and Oral Roberts. Did you watch it? Man, it just felt like Florida was just cruising for a while. It's a 5-1 ball game. And the next thing you know, a run here, and then you get to the ninth in a 5-3 ball game, and Oral Roberts just won't go away. They end up having runners on first and third with two outs. The tied runs at third. One run is at first. Is Oral Roberts going to walk it off? No. It's a deep fly ball to center. They get under, and Florida was really jacked. And, uh, again, Oral Roberts has really acquitted himself as well. Yes, it's a veteran team, but, man, these guys absolutely do not quit. I love it, man. All right, today is day two for the left side of the bracket. You know, Wake Forest, 3-2 winners over Stanford. That was a great ball game, too. And uh, Wake Forest just seemed to have every answer on the mound. LSU and Paul Skeens, 6-3 winners over Tennessee. It kind of went as we thought it might, even though I picked Tennessee to win it. I kept thinking, you know, you did, if you're Tennessee, if you can get anything against Skeens, you just got to stay in the game to get him out of the ball game. And then you look up, it's 5 nothing. Well, then what happens, you know, that they, they get a run on Skeens. They pull him, and the very first pitch from Gidry is a two-run jack to left center. It's 5-3. The problem was or six three five three yeah then they scored again to to get the run back there braden jobert with a home run but it went pretty much to script. the problem was is that tennessee just could do nothing with skeins until it was basically too late once lsu got some separation in the game it was tough to get caught up so again you wanted to wait him out and hope that you could be in the ball game two three nothing but uh, you look up and it's a five nothing game that's tough even with lsu's bullpen woes and of course uh And you get to Gidry, and they go to Riley Cooper, who did a good job. I'm not a big Riley Cooper fan, but um, LSU wins 6-3. So they advance uh, to today. So Stanford and Tennessee will play an elimination game today. And then Wake Forest and LSU tonight. That'll be a barn burner. So Stanford and Tennessee, that's at 1 p.m. So any moment now, we get done with the show, we'll go watch that. We'll grab some grub, and we'll go watch that. Stanford and Tennessee. I like Tennessee in the game. Stanford's going to be able to pitch it exceptionally well. Uh, Dowlander from Tennessee can as well. So this could be a low-scoring game. I don't think Stanford can win a shootout. So they're going to need, for sure, uh, to get a great quality start today. But uh, this could be an interesting ball game. So somebody is going home today between Stanford and Tennessee, which will leave just six teams. And Wake Forest and LSU, I'm eager to see how Wake Forest attacks this LSU lineup. And, again, LSU – you know, Braden Jaboy, Joe Bayer had a big game for them, but offensively, kind of what we expected, and kind of what we expected. It'll be interesting to see how they attack this Wake Forest pitching staff. This could be a very interesting ball game. If you love college baseball, you got to turn in tune in and see that. So again, after today, there will be just six teams left playing college baseball, and uh, two of those teams will be undefeated in the College World Series. The winner of Wake Forest, LSU, in Florida. So both of those teams will be in the driver's seat, and then we'll begin to see some elimination games uh, tomorrow. You know, TCU versus Oral Roberts, that'll be an elimination game. And then the loser of the Wake Forest LSU game will play the winner of Stanford and Tennessee. So we'll have two games today and then two games tomorrow, and then we turn around on uh, on on Wednesday, and uh, we'll have two more. So uh, this format – Shortens it up a little bit. You don't get all this time off like you did when we were up there. But the good thing for the fans are, is you get you know you get a lot of baseball, you know, and then of course you get into the finals. But uh, it'll be great, it'll be very interesting. And uh, with Skeen throwing 120 some odd pitches, you know, I know he'll want to pitch. But if LSU gets in that losers bracket, it could be a, a big thing. You know, Ty Floyd has got to pitch well for LSU this evening against the Wake Forest offense. Again, they've hit a ton of home runs, but they're a lot like LSU in that respect that uh, that offense is kind of built for that park, and you're seeing it at Omaha. I mean, Florida's a team that's built to play offense anywhere, absolutely anywhere. But you see how TCU was. You know, TCU was red hot, just hitting dingers left and right. They get up there, and a lot of these balls that were dingers aren't even making it to the warning track at Omaha. So, And how, how great is this, too? You know, what is we played, what, six games so far? Six games, and five of them have been one-run games. I believe in every single one of them. You've had the uh, tying run at the uh, on board or at the plate, and uh, in, in every one of them in the ninth inning. So great college World Series so far. Uh, but again, I think I think Tennessee is probably too much for Stanford. But this may be one of those games that turns into a pitcher's duel until late. The has got to go out there and get it done. And he is a guy at times that um, you know, the slider hadn't shown as much bite to it. So he's relied on the fastball. You know, Stanford's got some guys that can barrel that thing up and put it in gaps. So. Could be an interesting game. Could be a good day of baseball uh, to say the least. So be sure and check that out. I look forward to a day that we're back. You know, that's a thing, you know, we talk about, you know, well, you know, man, we just need to make a regional next year. And yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, that's a step in the right direction. But, you know, we had gone to Omaha so regularly, it's like, you know, I'm ready to get back. I see these other teams play and you look at them and say, you know what, they don't have as they don't just have a talent differential over us in some in some positions, but you look up and down their order and you think, you know, we don't really look like that. You know, offensively, I think we had an offense good enough to get to Omaha. We just didn't have pitching. But I'm ready to be back. I'm not ready to just be back in the tournament. I'm ready to go win a regional and put another sticker up on the, the outfield wall. I want to have a super regional. And, and the joy and exhilaration of winning that super regional. I mean, it, it's really difficult to describe that. I mean, it really is, because now you know you're going. And I remember, like, when we we won against Stanford, you know, there were so many people that thought Stanford was going to come in here and win that thing, and and we won. And I remember thinking, you know what, we had gone through. You know, it was incredible. You know, we'd gone through so much. We went through a coaching change. 18, of course, was uh, was terrible. And then Hunter Stovall and Jake Mangum and those guys kind of got together, leaned on each other. They got us to Omaha, and we thought in 19 – you know, how, how do we make it back? You know, well, then Ethan Small kind of rose to the occasion, and Jake Mangum was a big leader for us. And so, so much of that, we're so excited about it. And in 2020, we felt like we had another Omaha team, you know, with Foskey and Westberg and those guys. And then, you know, we have the shortened season, abbreviated draft, and Foskey and Westberg are gone. And we think, there's, how do we get back? And then we do. And it's like that's the thing about Mississippi State baseball is we always think we're one weekend or one player away you know, for playing for something that really matters and i don't know that we really have that feeling right now I mean, i'd mean, i love to sit here and tell you oh yeah we've got a roster that can make it i don't know that i believe that i think we got to see it on the field especially from the pitching standpoint and again we've got to replace some pretty big bats i mean we got to replace Colton ledbetter you know he's a guy that didn't really tear it up in conference play and and amani didn't either but you expect that right i mean these are guys that are g5 players and again like we talked about earlier i mean you know until you see sec hitters and sec hitting coaches and pitchers and things of that nature you don't really know what you've got your arms around but i'm ready to be back and this whole justin parker thing doesn't bring us all the way back but it is a solid step back in that direction i think it's important to celebrate that but let's also not just sit back and say hey, okay okay now we're done let's go play ball no we got to mine through the portal a little bit. And we got, and these you know these workouts that we have in the offseason are going to be so significant. And I'm eager to see. I can't wait to talk to Justin Parker uh, this fall after he's had a chance to work with our pitchers and just kind of see where he is and what he thinks, what he's working on, and then we'll go from there. But while today is a big day for baseball, it's not the only big day we need between now and uh, Valentine's Day weekend next year. That's important, I understand, too. It's a huge part of it. So there's a, again, there's a process to this. We've taken a big step, and now we've got to go identify some players in this portal, get them to campus, get them in the fall workouts. You guys will be out there at the fall scrimmages, and then kind of ramp on into this thing. It's like we're, we're getting ready to crown an AFL champion here in a few days, and we're already thinking about next year. We're talking about next year. We're talking about being a better team next year. And uh, again, I commend Coach Chris Simonis. For going and getting the guy going and getting the guy it would have been easy to say you know what let's let's we got to get a guy and it's not about when you make the hire it's about who you hire and that's people like well i didn't drag out too long well guys they just got done playing last weekend two weekends ago right i mean it's like justin parker those guys played florida we just omaha just started so parker was trying to get to omaha against florida and couldn't get there. And then all of a sudden, you know, that happens. And then on Tuesday, we start having some, some big conversations with him. But uh, I am cautiously optimistic. And I am very, very pleased with the hire and very proud of Chris Simonis. Very proud of Chris Simonis. And there were a lot of people that didn't think this could be done. But we went and got not just a Power Five pitching coach, we went and got a Power Five SEC pitching coach that has done it at a high level. That's important to understand. It wasn't like we just went and got like an understudy or an apprentice. Like we could have gotten, you know, probably gone after a cop in Florida. I mean, but Kevin O'Sullivan's a pitching coach. You know, you could go you know, go get Winkler at TCU, but you know, Kirk Sarlos is a pitching coach. Dickinson in Virginia. What, you know, O'Connor's a pitching coach. I mean, yeah, you could have went and gotten those guys, but to me that would have been a step down from what we got. Justin Parker was the pitching coach at South Carolina, he had autonomy, and he'll have autonomy here. So, again, tip of the cap to the skipper, Chris Amonis, for going out there and uh, and really in many respects I think kind of surpassing expectations. There were a lot of people that were on the Rob Walton thing. And I think Rob would have done a good job here. But Rob doesn't know the SEC. Rob hadn't had to play SEC teams. I think that's a big benefit to this whole Justin Parker thing. He's done it for the last two years. He knows the talent that's in this league and knows how to attack them. And I think that's something that's going to be big. Now it's about getting the players on board uh, to go facilitate that game plan. That's a huge part of it. All right, if you haven't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. Now's a good time to celebrate baseball. And you can get a copy, a signed copy of Dogpile, Alpha Dogs, and Flim And uh, Bloomsville Leander available for a limited time only through Amazon.com, Barnes Noble.com, BooksMegan.com. And, and then in addition to that, Stark Villains gear, always available at StarkVillains.com. We should probably get a Stark Villains uh, onesie or something made for uh, our new ace, Cameron Parker. You know, He's going to be celebrating uh, his one-year-old birthday here in Starkville. Maybe that's what we do. Maybe we just all chip in together. No, we'll, we'll give him one. Maybe we can get that printed. Wouldn't that be cool, a Stark Villain onesie for, for Cameron that he can wear? We Got to start thinking in those terms, man. I'm happy to have this family as a part of our family. And happy that you're along for the ride with us if you're not a member of jeanspage.com go check it out because uh jeans page the subscribers have been hearing about justin parker for a week now as soon as things didn't work out with mike silva we shifted. a matter of fact the only name we really talked about all week was justin parker and we were the first to put out there that justin parker was going to be on campus confirmed that he was here and then uh, had some details about the meeting and so you could have known you say well steve i'll just find out you know when they release it well you know Wouldn't it be nice to know ahead of time? Wouldn't it be nice to know that on the day of the hire, you've already known. You could be that that guy or gal at the water cooler and say, oh, yeah, I knew about that a week ago. Yeah. So come by and be a part of that at jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.